And that right there was one of my core woundings. Take everything else, my fucking parents, my, my partners that cheated on me and all the pain of my life. None of that, none of that comes close to coming to the realization that I don't trust myself to do what it takes to create the life that I want and to heal myself from my pain and to transform my pain into purpose. Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Ah, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Podcast. Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here. So happy to have you. And today uh, we're introducing my friend, Adrian Ellison. Adrian, uh, actually, I was introduced to her digitally via uh, Instagram, via our mutual friend, Amanda Bucci. And then recently, I met Adrian in person at a party in Austin. That was actually my first time in Austin. Really fun time. And this woman is powerful. She is a modern day medicine woman with a gift of bridging language between what we see with what we feel so we can access our deepest healing and purpose in this life. Adrian is the founder of Awaken the Medicine, which encourages individuals to take their physical, mental, and ancestral healing into their own hands. She does this by providing tools to bring awareness to the uniquely unconscious parts of ourselves where we can begin to access our gifts. Having healed her body and her mind of chronic illness through work of self-healing practices, her passion for teaching alternative methods of healing and activating the intuitive healer within us all is at an all-time high. So we can't wait to have Adrian on here. She has some incredible knowledge to uh, to spit. In fact, I'm recording this intro after I've already done the intro after I've already done the podcast, I can tell you it's a fantastic episode. You're going to love it. And if you love these episodes, make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to the New Wave Podcast on Spotify, iTunes. Leave a comment and a review. It really helps us to raise the profile of the show. And of course, go to newwaveentrepreneur.com to get access to everything that we're doing now inside of the community, including getting on our email list, because then once you're on the email list inside that community, you can join our Discord server and talk with the community live. We have uh, giveaways in there. I do uh, special drops in there. Um, it's just a really cool community. It's fun. We're building up that real-time engagement. We're building up that real-time relationship again outside of the social media vortex. And uh, and yeah, we're doing workshops now. We're doing the next New Wave dinner in, in June. That's going to be in Austin, Texas. So yeah, newwaveentrepreneur.com is where you get all that info. All right, guys, let's dive in. conversation around the Kardashians like they do business well and they understand how to uphold that image that people are so drawn to and attracted to because we're we we get lost in consumption and we get lost in this idea that the next thing is going to make us better if I create that new lip you know kit that Kylie released then like I'm going to be prettier I'm going to get that next partner like whatever that thing is and I very much when I decided I wanted to become an influencer like there's I feel like there's a little bit of like shame and insecurity around anybody wanting to be an influencer it's clear that like the majority of society would love to be in a position of influence we are driven by community and we're driven by leadership and the desire to be something greater than ourselves and so when you for me when I was coming becoming an influencer and like I said I've never watched an episode of the Kardashians I've never been much for reality TV 
but I actually am interested at this point in my life, and we'll see where it unfolds in creating a new way of reality TV. So this is so crazy that we're, we're talking about this because one of the things that I have, and I wouldn't say that it's on my bucket list and I'm not even sure how cultivated the idea within me is, but I feel this like seed that's been planted of wanting to create a reality, reality TV show within my friend group to be like really raw about what goes on. Cause I already do that with social media. I already do that with my community. Like I take people through my breakups. I take people through my post ceremony integration when my depression is the highest. And I think that the actual showing of like the entire experience of being a human up and down without feeling that it means something about you and showing people that it actually doesn't mean anything about you whatsoever. Like this is the process and everyone has their own process. I feel really drawn to step into that space of influence. And I also love to take all of my family on a healing journey, plant medicine journey, using like some of the, the, the best and most available resources that are not expensive, whether that's like breathwork modalities, tapping EFT, re regulating the nervous system. I feel like so many people are so like in this like idea of where they're going through spirituality, through entrepreneurship, but like the conversation still to this day through society about regulating your nervous system to be an embodied human, is just nowhere to be found. Nobody's talking about that on reality TV and like the words that are getting thrown around. So yeah, the fact that we're starting this conversation around like reality TV and what it means to be an influencer and of influence and of service, this has pretty much been my entire journey for the last year and a half since kind of staking my my space in the influencer space. I, I recently just hit 10,000, which is no small feat. Like, yeah, I get to swipe up and I did it organically. I never, I never did any of the trades or the follow me for follows or oh, yeah. I never did oh, yeah, giveaways. I did like I fucking worked for it. And <laughs> what's, what's so great is that, you know, I reach it. I don't like feel any different, but even still with that, it's like, it's so easy to be like, oh, I'm not of influence and like, forget about the people that have been so deeply influenced by my authentic story this whole time. Like I have people who followed me when I had 2000 followers and they still considered me an influencer then because of the way that I spoke. Right. So now the responsibility is higher. The integrity is being more integrity is being asked of me. But yeah, I'm I'm super open for the universe to bring me more opportunities to really honestly just live exactly the way that I live and allow there to be a window for people to view what that looks like without it being a disturbance to my actual life. Like what is the what is the fine line in the pocket that I could get into where I could actually just allow things like cameras and like where I can literally break down in the middle of something really painful and go through my entire process of tapping and breath work and chaos and allowing myself to spiral and to hold the space for what's happening within me without needing to react and like letting other people just witness that. Like, oh, hey, by the way, this is one of the most normal human experiences, people spiraling into what they feel like is death, but they don't even have language around it. And the people that do have language around it tend to talk about it in like this such an esoteric way that it doesn't feel grounded. And where is the conversation around the nervous system, right? So a lot of like what I'm doing here and like why I incarnated in this place and like why I want to work with people and serve and how I want to show up for myself, my friend group, my children, my community is all within that goal of like being of influence in a way that genuinely influences evolution. And it doesn't need to be in this big way and this like, I'm leaving a legacy, I need my name all over it. It's like, when I die, I just want to know in every cell of my being that I was of the greatest influence and of the greatest service that I possibly could be. Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot to, there's a lot that I want to uh, say to all that. Um, and we'll, we'll go back and I'll do an intro uh, and we'll drop in 
right in the middle of this conversation because I think it was that's what we were talking about in real life. So we might as well just drop into the podcast. So okay, the first thing, just talking about influencer. I was talking to my mom yesterday, and she's like, "Would you consider yourself an influencer?" And um, I said, I, "I guess so," but that's because other people consider me an influencer. Mm-hmm. I that that term was really only something that we started to, to use freely within the past five years, five to seven years, something like mm-hmm. that. And then there's no threshold for what when someone's considered an influencer. A parent is an influencer to the kids. You know, everyone's influencing somebody. Um, yes. So there's no. It's not like if you take 10k of anything, it makes you more influential. And um, I think there's also something that we don't consider is that humans have a hard time understanding, at least me, I have a hard time understanding scale. So like you can see that you have X amount of people looking at a post if you're using social media as a gauge, but for every one person that engages with that post, there's tons of other people who come across it or who are uh, like a secondary or tertiary effect to someone else who has observed something that you've said or done. And there is a ripple effect that's much uh, greater than uh, any metric can tell based on like a KPI or something. And we have a hard time, at least I do, understanding the real scale and the scope of um, of the work that you're doing when you're trying to teach something or you want to communicate a message or if you have a community you're trying to build. So um, whoever is listening to this right now, you know, you are an influencer if you're an influencer of one. I mean, first you're an influencer of yourself. And if you're living the way that you want to live, usually you can just live by example. And people will, you don't have to like, when you, so when you start to develop yourself, what I found is just, just don't try to uh, impress people with different beliefs or like impress upon them anything specific. I think that in the beginning was not my mistake, but my misunderstanding of influence. It's like, oh, I have to tell you how to do something and then you're going to do it because I said it was a good idea because I am smart. But more, I realized it's just, just live how you think is an integrous way for you to live and based on whatever principles are important to you and then just share that and don't say you should do this. <laughs> just live how you're going to live and then let people come to you. And then sometimes they'll say, well, they'll ask you questions. Oh, I noticed that you traveling a lot more. I noticed that you, you know, you've been able to start these businesses. What's up with that? And let them ask you and then you tell them, oh, here, share them a little, share a little bit, share a little bit, share a little bit. Um, so, and then you, then you can influence a lot of people that way without having to have some sort of, you know, mega platform or some sort of social media thing. So I think everyone is influencing um, people, but we're not always conscious of it. Yeah. And, you know, for me, my metric is like not really through social media. It's more of how I influence my family and my friends and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people who have a lot of followers and don't have a single person that they can, they they really influence in their actual real life. And it's so easy to create a persona and my identity is first and foremost rooted in my relationship with myself and how I feel, how clean I feel in the way that I show up in the world. And then secondly, the next mirror for that would be, you know, my relationship with the people in my life that I've cultivated intimacy with. And and a lot of times whenever I'm like, not like, I feel like sticky about social media. Like I've, I went through a whole season for the last month where everything I posted felt like kind of gross. And I was like, man, there's like a there's it's a piece of city that's like not coming through and I just can feel yeah. that I need to shed this last, this, this, I say last, we always say last, this next layer of, of something just that just feels a little time. inauthentic. Right. And at the yeah. same time in that last month, I wasn't spending time with my close friends. I wasn't, there was no moments or pockets where they were like, Oh my God, Adrian, like, wow, what you just said or how you held space for me or how you're showing up is really impacting me. And it just, you know, complete and total, reflection of that was happening on my social media as well. And then just in the last 
five days alone. I've cleared so many things. I've, I've stepped into a newer, more authentic version of myself, which is still raw, but it's like, you know, it's, it's blooming and it's blossoming. And in that, I've noticed the direct reflection of all of the relationships in my life. My friends are now coming to me and, and feeling the value of spending time with me. And it's not that I'm not valuable to spend time with all the time or that I need to be valuable to a friend for them to come. It's like not transactional. It's just about reciprocity. It's like we are drawn to go where the medicine is for us. And if I am not the medicine for myself and I've lost myself and I've lost my authenticity, I'm not in the pocket of my own medicine and my gifts and what I'm like of value with the world. And so therefore, like I lose that. And, um, you know, Amanda Bucci, a, a mutual friend of both of ours, like she's one of my best friends. She's somebody that I've some of the cleanest and clearest reciprocity with in friendships. And we've struggled to like get together because we have such different friend groups. And I have like my friend group and she has her friend group. And, and we're kind of like in the middle and pillars of each of those things. And just even in the last five days, as we've cleared our schedule, the next thing you know, I'm like 45 minutes on a phone call with her, just like driving through the city of Austin, connecting, dropping in. Oh my gosh, we're, we have so many similar things being reflected. She came over last night. We sat there. I talked about what was coming through for me within my relationship. And there was like five or six things that she said. I literally pull out my notebook. I'm taking notes because there's so much coming through. And it was like we were in a portal because both of us were so in our integrity and in our authenticity and in the truth of like what it means to be influenced to someone, not afraid to say the hard thing. And in that moment, like just in the pocket where all of a sudden I have so much coming through, it literally felt like we were in a psychedelic space together. And then since then, like, since we had that conversation and since she came here and like genuinely through her cleanliness and her reciprocity and her authenticity and her empowerment, I woke up with so much empowerment in my field and I made big decisions today that I have been kind of sitting on and trying to make for six months, six months, three of them. I booked two flights to two different places that I've been struggling to be like, I don't know who I'm going with, why I'm going there, where I'm going, but I know that I need to go to this place. And it's like, that's all it takes when, when you talk about being of influence or having somebody influence you. Like, and, and if you're influenced by cheap things, which when I say that, I'm talking about like the Kardashian stuff, right? It's like how clean when we get down to like the undercurrent of like when they're posting about a product, one, do they even like that product? Do they even use that product? What is, you know, what's the purpose of this? How much are they getting paid? All of those types of things. And so, yes, like in my opinion, they do really influence pop culture and they influence the world of like beauty and cosmetics and, and the type of lifestyle that people are interested in when they are, when everything outside of them is what they relate to as their identity. For the people in my community and probably a lot of the people that are in your community, it's so much more about how something makes you feel. That is where the greatest of influence and like moving towards allowing what makes you feel good, what makes your body go, yes what makes everything in you light up and excitement and expand. That is the the truest form of, of influence. Like I can walk into a room and influence someone I've never even met before because the way that our fields speak to each other, call it field speak, like the way that I carry myself, how grounded I speak. I, You're making terms speak. up now. No, it's so true. My network spinal um, chiropractor calls it field speak. And just like being able to, even just if, if you notice like watching people's body language, like if I walk into the room, and you can feel that I'm breathing and like breathing pretty deeply, I will be a more comfortable and safer place naturally for your nervous system to be standing next to than somebody who is like really shallow breaths, you know, somebody who's yawning a lot because they're not like really conscious of their breath pattern and they're obviously not getting enough oxygen and you know, whatever else is happening. That's the level of influence that's happening. Damn mouth breathers. Oh Yeah. Used to be one. I've been sleeping with my mouth taped shut, which is. Dude, I, I tape my mouth shut too. I tape my mouth shut, okay. and I have the nasal strip. Woo! Oh, I, 
I've heard I about that. To sleep with. Let me tell you. Yeah, I don't do it every night. Just depends on how I'm feeling. Now, if you really want to get sexy, you get the mouth tape, the nasal strip, the the hoodie, the eye mask, and then you sleep with a wow. pillow between your legs for your hips. You are closed off wow. for love. Wow. I do I do a lot of a lot of those things. <laughs> just but, depends on what I'm feeling like that day. Yeah, the, the the weighted blankets people really love too. I feel very suffocated by them, but like that seems to be something that is it's a vibe for people. Well, I recreationally strangle men in strange pajamas, so I think it would probably feel good to me. Okay. You know, that's what you were saying, what makes you come alive the most? I'm thinking I don't know why, but it's it's mostly other guys choking me, but in a very non-sexual way. Yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who feel like I do, but people wouldn't understand them. I feel like it makes sense when I'm looking at that poster that's directly behind you. Like you oh. want to be strangled oh, yes. by, by people and like probably the, the yes. ability to get your power back and yes. feel empowered by getting out of that strangulation or just knowing that you can be strangled and you can still survive is very empowering. Well, I'm so glad you asked about that uh, painting. That is uh, Yasuke, who was uh, historically the only black samurai. He was uh, taken to uh, from with Portuguese slave traders to Japan, where he was seen by Oda Nobunaga, who was at the time in feudal Japan, the only one who had ever united all the territories and clans of Japan. He was the supreme samurai lord. And he saw Yasuke, and he couldn't believe that his, uh, his ebony skin was real. And many people took to him and tried to rub off this black coating with rocks because they thought that he was lying. And he was also about a foot taller than everyone. They thought he was just some sort of God. And so Oda Nobunaga, completely breaking rank, said, I'm going to take you under my wing as my ward and train you in the samurai ways. And uh, this didn't really play well in Nobunaga's court because they're very traditional in Japan. They didn't like this outsider coming in and being part of the samurai class. But he was able to, uh, to go into many battles with Nobunaga. And um, he fought with him to the end where there was a huge uh, coup. Nobunaga was killed in battle, but Yasuke was never captured. And we never know what happened to him. But there's a great Netflix anime adaptation with lots of psychedelic imagery. You can find that online right now. Amazing. There's your history lesson. Not the, the samurai, the, the, that, you know, not necessarily the thing that I'm like the most drawn to uh, when it comes to cinema or like stories or archetypes. Um, I tend, I do love the, the warrior archetypes. I relate to that quite a bit. Um, and whenever I watch things like King Arthur, like I relate so much because mm-hmm. one of my greatest muses is the shadow. You know, all, a lot of what I teach on is shadow work and shadow integration and teaching a little bit about where the shadow lives within the body and in the brain and how it shows up and all of that. And so when I watch like a movie or I hear a story and typically there's like a really dark character and the dark character is like very clever and very charming and all the things that the, the shadow ultimately learns and evolves to be to get what it wants, right? That like parasitic, like I will do anything and everything I can to get you to look over here while I take and eat and consume and do whatever. And I'm very familiar with that energy because of my ayahuasca ceremonies and doing my own shadow work and looking at my own shadow frequencies. So yeah, like stories like King Arthur where there's like the warrior, like Lord of the Rings where there's like real darkness those stories and those archetypes speak to me so much. What, uh, t- talk to me about your seven day dry fast. That's <sighs> what I really want to hear about. And that's, that's some shadow work right there. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Well, just for my own safety, right out of the gate, I have to say that doing a seven day dry fast can lead to death. It's very dangerous and it's definitely not for everyone. And if you decide to do it, please don't say it was because of me. Um, two years ago, 
around the time that I was also getting the call for ayahuasca, I just had such a clear message that I was going to be doing a dance with fasting. And the only thing I'd ever known about fasting was when I was 23 years old, right after my dad died, and I was working very hard to get skinny because I wanted so badly to feel like a different person in a different body because the, what I felt in my own body was horrific. And so I did a four-day water fast. I did most of it with distilled water because I did not have any education. I had absolutely no idea that that could literally kill you and flush out all of your minerals. No idea. And it was horrible. It was terrible. The headaches, the the die-off symptoms, my liver, like it was just terrible. So what type of water are you supposed to do it with? Mineral yeah, water? Uh, definitely mineral water. Like, because, and even that, like you need to be taking a lot of minerals, like, and not just, not just the minerals that are like sometimes found in regular water, you know, reverse osmosis doesn't have any minerals. It's clean of bacteria and parasites and fluoride and all of that, but it still doesn't have any minerals in it. And minerals are what binds water to our body and really minerals are what hydrates us, not water. So it's, it's tricky and there's a lot of research out there and um, I've got a lot of really great people who know more about that than I do. But yeah, so that was, that was a disaster. Also my refeed, because I didn't have the tools that I have now. And my why for doing it was so like flimsy. Like when your why for doing something is like, I just oh, want to yeah. look better and I want other people to think I'm better. There's, it's not enough. There's no right? backbone to it. <laughs> no backbone to it. And so yeah. my refeed was probably like fried chicken and fucking oh. a bunch of low quality cheese and queso and That's Mexican hard food. for the re-entry. I know about oh that body. Oh my God, it's Woo. terrible. So I got, yeah. At the time, you know, I didn't have enough information that was really coming through. And, you know, I've been in, on my spiritual journey for long enough to know that just because you get a call doesn't mean you need to answer that call the next week. Sometimes that call is like, it's like a whisper and it's what it's calling you to do really is due diligence and discernment for yourself and to ask and be curious and, you know, really start to build a relation with the medicine that is being called to you, whether that's fasting or ayahuasca and and so both my, my fast and my ayahuasca, I took two years to kind of just like contemplate and sit with. And when, when I was starting to get really sick, so I've had a lot of autoimmune symptoms. I've had metabolic dysfunction for at least 10 years. I've been infertile for at least 10 years. I've had thyroid issues. I've had chronic infections and inflammation and nervous system inflammation. I have a back injury. I have, you know, like fungal infections that I can't get to go away. Um, I had just so, so, so much pain in the body where it was clear that on a metabolic level where the body is like offloading and converting and, you know, everything that it's doing for the whole system. Met metabolism is everything. Like that's how the body converts energy. We need energy for everything. And so it was like super dysfunctional. And I, I was in the fitness industry for six years. So I that was all going on while I was in the fitness industry. And I was literally changing, transforming people. I had a client that had 140 pounds of fat loss. Like he was, he could finally do all the things that he wanted to do his whole life. And I could not get myself there. And I also had an eating disorder that I was not aware of. And even up until my dry fast was kind of in denial about, and my, my dry fast was incredible because it really healed that. And not to mention it starved out all of the things that lived in my stomach that told me the story about what I wanted to eat. And my cravings are completely different now. So years ago, I felt called to a dry fast. And when I was going through all my autoimmune symptoms, I came across a really interesting piece of information about fecal microbia transplants, which is a poop transplant where somebody takes their, their fecal matter and you do like an either an enema or you can do pill versions of it, but it completely replenishes the, the microbes in the, the microbiome of your gut. And it's, it's one of the most safest and also really incredible healing modalities that's out there. And of course, it's not FDA approved. And of course, there's no access for anybody to have it unless you have, you're dying of C. diff and 
anytime I come across something like that, right? I'm like, if everybody's doing it, it's a no for me. But when I come across something yeah. that the FDA does not want you doing, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm interested in this. So I started doing research on it. I was like, I know I want to do this. Now I just got to find somebody with the right poop, which is very difficult because 90% of our population has metabolic dysfunction and is overweight and is on their way to disease. And it was very clear to me over the last, really like the last three years that I was on my way to disease and I was on my way to being crippled based on my back injury. It was only getting worse. What was the injury from? Man, I mean, it's from a lot of things. It's mostly from like a holding pattern of distrust in my body. And there's, I've done a lot of energy work around it. I've done a lot of like ceremonies around it. It has really, it's in relation to the masculine and, and, but because of that, right after my dad died, my dad, my literal backbone, I was at the gym and I was squatting and I was under eating and I wasn't taking care of myself and the level of stress that was in my body and in my field. And I went to squat, my ribs were really out of place and I wasn't in a proper position and I just felt this pop. And ever since then, my spine has been um, just kind of in this trauma response. And then anytime I go to do any kind of hinge movement, my body lights up my nervous system and it goes danger, 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 because our body has that much memory, right? And I had so much compounded at that time. And then it just kind of feels like this spot in my body where it communicates what's really going on. Like I can feel like I'm totally fine and I could be going through something and be like, I'm totally fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. And like my back will be like, actually, you're not in your body. You're incredibly ungrounded. Your nervous system has been firing nonstop for several days and you're clearly not getting enough sleep. And it is like, it is the fucking truth master. And so I've, I've learned to, I'm learning, but I have learned along the way to become really appreciative of, of the teacher that it is for self-mastery because there's nothing, I've never had anything like it. It's one of my greatest allies and my greatest challenges. And so, I mean, just imagine having all of that, having just like severe metabolic dysfunction. It doesn't matter what I do or what I eat. I can't lose weight. My muscle tissue is is not thriving. I'm, I'm having muscle atrophy. My back hurts all the time. When I try to work out, it's even worse. And I don't work out, then things get tight. It's like, it felt literally so defeating. Oh, and like, there was nothing that I could do. And then I started getting chronic infections all the time. UTIs, oh. yeast infections, gut inflammation, kidney infections. Ooh. Like, I had such severe nervous system inflammation that any, any sound, I didn't even realize that I had PTSD because every time I would hear a sound, like a loud sound dropping in the other room, it would take me days to regulate. And I didn't even know because I didn't have that language. So, you know, life has just been leading me down this path of, I would say that the biggest part that's come in is like the voice of no one is coming to save you. <laughs> and I feel yeah. like that is the breaking point for people in their life where when you hear a story like mine, where not by the way, it's not just my spinal injury I've healed and my thyroid and metabolic dysfunction and my infertility. I also healed my endometriosis, which is something that doctors say you can heal yeah, and they don't know where it comes from. And my story with that is a miracle. I bit my nails for 28 years. And like, as you can see, that's the I thumbnail that. right there. It's amazing. And so when you hear stories like that, it's like, oh, well, it couldn't happen for me. That is that same voice of, of victimhood that doesn't want you to go, oh my God, no one is coming for me. And all the power that I've given away to every other thing and person and circumstance and place and opportunity is the reason why I'm not in the place where I'm like able to really heal this. Because once I realize that nothing is going to heal this for me, it's up to me to do that work. Then you become in an empowered state and the body 
thrives in an empowered state. The metabolism thrives in an empowered state. Fertility, your sex life, your relationships, there's nothing that doesn't thrive when it's empowered. It's a higher frequency, like there's so much more that you can get done with it. When you're disempowered, the body literally doesn't feel safe ever, ever. And until the nervous system can be settled and we can start to feel safe and empowered, like everything else you do, all those plant medicine journeys, all the supplements, all the you know relationship coaches, your body will still operate from pain and from the past and from the shadow. And so my journey of getting to my seven day dry fast was this dance with my shadow nonstop for the last three years, really. And when I got the tip that like fasting, my biggest fear with fasting was like, oh no, like my shadow is so strong and so intense. That motherfucker will come for me. If I try to fast and starve it out and starve anything out, like there is no doubt that it's going to bring its greatest game. And so fast forward to this last summer, I was invited in, in the call to go sit with, with ayahuasca for the first time. And I ended up doing seven sits. This is definitely my year of seven. It's also my seven year cycle since my dad died. And just so, so many things around the seven, which is all about bringing heaven to earth, like bringing heaven to your earth. And that's exactly what I'm doing through all of this like work with the shadow and work with my dry fasting is like taking myself to these descents into, you know, these hell realms of whether that's my emotions that I don't want to look at and it was under the surface in the underworld or whether that's my body going into the pain and being like, I'm here, I'm going to, I'm going to listen. I'm going to see what this is. And I'm going to really take that time. And, um, that led me to, you know, doing ayahuasca where it showed me, it showed me my shadow, it showed me the depths of the frequencies that are living with me that, that not only happened, you know, in my developmental years when my needs weren't being met by my parents, but it also is like lineage stuff, like any frequencies that lived within our lineage that never got fully expressed and transmuted, they live on in our genetic coding. And that's just epigenetics. That's science. So as I'm diving into like ayahuasca, which shows you so much of the, the ancestral, the collective, the, you know, the underworld, yeah. and it's so much amygdala. Yeah. It's all about that, that what we call the, um, the left emotional brain which is which is really where the body is continuously the brain is continuously taking in all information in the present moment and comparing it to the past to things that brought us pain and it's just reminding you of this here's where you had pain here's where you had pain avoid this here's where you had pain and none of us we, we don't have education in this in this country at least and I'm pretty sure in a lot of others there's no basic education about like how to really support this part of the brain but everybody's got it and so for me, when I was getting ready to do my dry fast, my biggest fear was that I cannot trust myself to take myself to the place I need to go for my healing. I cannot trust myself to really be with the fact that no one is coming to save me. And I cannot trust myself to save myself. And that right there was one of my core woundings. Take everything else, my fucking parents, my, my partners that cheated on me and all the pain of my life. None of that none of that comes close to coming to the realization that I don't trust myself to do what it takes to create the life that I want and to heal myself from my pain and to transform my pain into purpose. And that's exactly what shadow works about. That's exactly what, you know, all of my life's work is about. And so, yeah, what I experienced in ayahuasca really prepared me for the dry fast. Cause I had, uh, out of the seven ceremonies, my last one was 10 hours and it was 10 hours of the most excruciating pain I've ever been through. <laughs> oh boy. I'm not interested in sitting again in a really long time. And, um, I can totally relate, you know, yeah. 
it, it showed me so much of my resiliency, but what it really showed me was my devotion. Like, why am I here? And I could take the, the th- thing of like, well, I came here for my healing. And I was like, no, I fucking came here for my healing. And like, that is the way in which I'm choosing to go through life. And, and sometimes it's hard to find that. Like, sometimes I'm just so disempowered, but I know, okay, don't make decisions from that disempowered place. That's clearly not the place that life is going to thrive. It's not going to attract what I'm saying that I desire. And so in this dry fast, it was like, okay, if I know this is my biggest fear, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to go and I'm take it day by day. And I'm really going to be with this. And I, I read a book called the Phoenix protocol. That's all about dry fasting. And from the loose research, I will say that it's loose research because there's not enough money that's been pumped into this research that a lot of the research at this point is still considered a theory. And that's why dry fasting is really dangerous. People have died. But from what I felt intuitively, it was a full fuck yes for me the moment I heard about it. And then secondly, from the loose research that I did, it dry fasting doesn't break the kind of cardinal rules of fasting, which is that dry fasting releases a lot of human growth hormone and it releases almost the same amount of stem cells as when a baby is born, which there's nothing else on the planet that is known of to release that many stem cells naturally while also clearing senescent cells, which are cells that are like dead and dying and like can't produce anymore and they've got you know that methylation they're just like toxic and and they continue to like be toxic in the body and we need to get rid of those but if we have metabolic dysfunction we can't because the body if it metabolism was working would be eating those cells and using them to convert energy right. and so there's so many like compounded effects that happen to the body and i i'm a worse i'm a bad case scenario of this right So my why going into it was like strong. I understood the research. I understood the risk. For me, the reward was way greater than the risk could possibly be. And yeah, I went into it. I did seven days with no food and no water. The first day was mostly just this redundancy of like, oh, I'm going to get water. Oh, I can't have water. Oh, I can't have water for seven days. Oh, existential dread. I'm choosing to do this. No, I'm empowered. It's okay. I'm fine. It's fine. Okay. I've got seven days. I can't wait to do this. It's so exciting. Remember all the reasons why you're here and I reach for water again. And then it just started all over. (laughs) And it was like, (laughs) oh God. Yeah, it was a great. I'm getting anxious just hearing it. I'm getting anxiety just hearing it. Right. So day two and day three were easier because it settles in you're already, you know, past the point of like, you're in it, I'm in it. And, you know, on those days, it wasn't a lot of like spiritual or emotional stuff. It was mostly just kind of being like, man, I really like food and water. And you're not hungry at all during it. And you're not thirsty, really, like physiologically thirsty. You're just more like emotionally thirsty. And just but are you you're not moving that much. You're not actively out doing your daily life. You don't move much. Not supposed to can't go in the sun. Can't go oh. in the sun. I brush my teeth for seven days. Oh, that! I'll tell you. I'll tell you the grossest part when we get to when we get into day like four. That's against the official rules of, of having any moisture in your mouth. Mm-hmm. You cannot have any water that enters your gastrointestinal tract at all, That's... or it breaks. But okay. this is also how you starve out fungus, bacteria, yeah. and parasites. Which, sure. by the way, when you do a water fast, you just hydrate and feed those guys, and they will take from other things. So. When you do a dry fast, this is what feeds them. They get no hydration and they die, die off by day five is what the research says. I experienced that. My cravings are completely different. Um, all the infections that I was having going on, completely different. My gut is reset. My metabolism is working again. Cortisol, thyroid, all of these things like back online. And I have only did it 19 days ago. Did you get, did you get your, your blood work done before? 
oh yeah, I've had my blood work done for years. And it was just, it's in on a lot of the tests, you know, cause a lot of the tests are testing against people who are just like n- normally healthy, which is not actually healthy. Uh, but yeah, I've, I have dysfunction in, in every category and my, my fungal levels are really off. And then if I try to treat those in my gut, it just turns into a bacterial infection. Cause it's just like a fight, you know, it's like a fight with all the bad guys and they only care about winning. It's, there's no like ecosystem within my stomach. That's how toxic the, the kind of what was living inside of me. Right. Man. So day two and day three, we're mostly just like adjusting to the boredom and adjusting to it and like feeling like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And then day four rolled around. I felt really great. I was talking a little too much. And then um, I started to feel really overwhelmed by conversation, by sound. My senses had gotten so heightened at that point that I could hear everything happening down the block, every other room, um, whispers, like could hear everything. And my nervous system was like responding to that. Right. I was just like smelling coffee just to smell it, smelling like citrus oils. Amazing. It's like the next thing to tasting it. Yeah, totally. And it was like yeah. way more enjoyable than any smell oh, I've yeah. ever had. I mean, it really turned on my senses. I like came smelling out of that. Just, oh, that smells so good. Whereas, yeah. you know, before I would just be like, Oh, it's nice. Um, day five was, one of the more somatic experiencing um, at that point, there was so much stillness and contemplation and I was no longer sleeping by day four. And you, you just don't sleep after day four. Usually some people do, but it's rare. And so that night, I mean, those nights are ceremony. You've got, you know, about 10 hours of, of just kind of hanging out and silence and you, know, you, can, you can only watch so many shows, but you're also kind of like, and you're weak and, and you want to sleep and you're just like fussy and restless. And just being with that, one of the things I had to keep doing was like choosing to be in ceremony because there's many mm-hmm. ceremonies I've been in where if I could have gotten the fuck out of there, I would have like pull oh, the yeah. plug. And so you lose presence. I'm no longer in the ceremony. I, I am now somewhere else and I, my body is just kind of in it, which feels so shitty to like say like, Body, I'm going to put you through an ayahuasca ceremony. And then when it gets too tough, I'm going to check out and I'm just going to leave you there to do all of the work. And there's something about that that feels like, it just feels like, again, like that reciprocity that I crave in relationships and in life, like that doesn't feel like that inside of my own experience. With Don't myself. phone it in is what you're saying. Don't phone it in. Do it if you're going to do it. Do it if you're going to do it. So yeah. when these moments would come, I would, and I would be like, oh God, I just can't wait till the sun to come up. I would catch myself in those and I would be like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to be really present with right now. And I would sink into the moment and that's where things would really move. Um, and I had a lot of things around my body come up. You know, I started to lose weight. I lost about 23 pounds total in seven Damn. days. And a lot of that was water weight, but like 13 pounds of it was fat loss. And I've gained all of that, you know, back as far as like, this is not a good thing for weight loss. It's, no, it's I don't, you know, for, like just for the no. listeners. To so it's like 23 pounds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, so let me, let me do this. Yeah. Um, but in that space, as my body was changing, I just had this, like this fear of like people being like, oh, you look so good. You know, when anybody loses weight, it doesn't even matter if it's really unhealthy. People are just like, you look so good. And I'm like, if a motherfucker tells me I look so good after I dehydrated myself and starved myself for seven days, I could feel that I could feel the animal in me. So I ended up setting boundaries with everybody that I saw and saying like, I'm not available at all for you to comment on my body. Um, I'm not available at all for you to comment. <laughs> my body and you they were like, with oh. that. hey how's it going adrian i'm not available for you to comment on my body no i sent texts i like let everybody i mean i have group chats going and i'm like hey guys i'm coming out of my fast i look different i understand that it's going to be a lot and 
I'm down to like be with you while you kind of process and to be like, wow, like I feel a lot about the way your body looks, but I don't want your opinions and I do not want to be told how good I look. And um, really while I was like, while that was coming through, it just brought up like a lot of grief and sadness for my younger teenage self that, you know, from the time I was tall, like everybody's just like, you're tall, you're going to play basketball, your teeth are so pretty, I like your face or you know, oh, you've gotten a little round there, Adrian, or like you put on some weight or like, wow, you look so skinny. Or like, you're such a presence in a room. You're always a comment. It's never ending. And I'm like, what do I even think about my body? I wouldn't know because the voices are so intense. And as a child, if I could have been like, Hey, I don't give a fuck about your opinion. And you can just, you can eat it. I don't need to hear about it. I wish that I had that language because I would have said it for sure. Um, so that came Saying it now is still good. Yeah, I I got to process a lot of just my relationship with my body Um, and a lot of stuff with my partner. Like, I just, because I wasn't numbing in any way, the truth of how I felt in our relationship, like the truest truth, the one that we're terrified to really see in a relationship because we know that it can just, it can rattle you. And, um, you know, one of the jokes that I always, I always joke about with people, you know, when, when they're like, oh, I'm thinking about doing psychedelics. And I'm like, okay, well just know that like, you're only one mushroom ceremony away from quitting your job, breaking up with your partner and moving to a new city. Like Not that's all it fucking takes. One Not ceremony joke. sometimes where it blows the top off and all the things that you, you had been not looking at are now right in front of you and you have no choice but to make a different change. Yeah. And I've been through that. You know, I did that. I yeah. broke up with my partner, left my business, left all my clients, moved away from Salt Lake City. Like, I've, this is not my first rodeo. And yeah, I mean, it was so clear in, the, in, in my fast that my relationship could no longer continue the way that it had been. And it was not only that I had that intellectual knowledge, but because I had sat with it so still and so reverently, when I got back home, it was like, the things that I would tolerate before or the things that I would like, didn't feel good about, but it would kind of happen. It was like, nope, hard fucking no for me. And it was such an adjustment for me and my partner because, you know, the way that I would receive him was like, no, mm-mm, mm-mm, that is not for me. You can figure that out somewhere else. I am not available for that. And I was still so raw and I was still integrating and I had all this other stuff coming up around. Like when I was there, it was like the message, go to Hawaii, go to Hawaii, go to Hawaii, go to Hawaii. I'm like, I don't fucking know anybody in Hawaii. I'm a social creature. I go where the people are. (laughs) So having to confront that and being like, okay, a year ago, I was driving down the highway and this Hawaiian airline commercial was on and I never listened to the radio. I'm like, turn that off. And as soon as I do, I look up and have to slam on my brakes because a Hawaiian duck tour bus pulls out in front of me in Austin. So at this point, I'm like, I now remember a year ago, so clearly being called to go to Hawaii and just being like, whatever, weird synchronicities. And I live my life. Like I live my life like 11, 11. And like, oh, I feel I can feel that I'm being like divinely guided and la 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 la. Yeah, you see the... I say those things and I mean, and I mean them, but to live, like to deeply embody that, like surrender, um, I'm reading the surrender experiment right now again. And it's like, it's different different to actually do it. I mean, so different consciously to say, I see this and I'm leaning into it and I'm leaning into it. And I, 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 it's it's humbling and it's raw because I could fall flat on my face. I could go to Hawaii. I I mean, I've been to Hawaii before and there was a huge volcano that erupted. There was an earthquake. It was like the biggest earthquake they've had in over a decade. I was like on the island and I could feel Great it Great timing. You know, so these things, they can happen. You don't know. And yeah, so that, that was, that's been, you know, part of the really intense part of it is that 
you know, we always want the clarity. We want that big experience. We want to know where our trauma is. We want to understand, you know, consciousness. But what we have to confront when we ask for something like that, and then the changes and the behavioral, like, pattern interrupts that are necessary when we get that clarity, which is really where a lot of people in the psychedelic community kind of get stuck. It's like more information, more information, like more language. And then it's like, you know, that lack of integration. And at this point, like I have so much reverence for integration and and so much like I, I, I know what it's like to show up to a ceremony to do like four grams and for mushrooms to be like, why the fuck are you here? You haven't done any of the things I told you from your last ceremony. What are you here for? And then just the rest of the ceremony, just sitting in your shit, like, oh, I've been there. I've been there so many times. That's like a bad trip, but like, it's an honest trip, really. And it's confronting. And so, yeah, coming out of, um, you know, day five where these things came 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 in and, and was like, these things need to be looked at and addressed. And, um, you know, you're doing the work of like, things will never be the same. And you chose to come in here and you starved all these things out because you wanted to see what was underneath it all. And you don't like what's underneath it all. And this is not a new experience for you to not like it. And, you know, the commitment that I have, like, I don't know if we have free will or not, but I know that it is my choice to either see life as an adventure or not. And that's where the empowerment for me comes in. Like the easiest way to empower yourself is not to try to control things, to make sure that you are in the best position possible for your life to go good. That is not an empowered state. It is to be like, okay, I'm whatever. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to go for this ride and I'm going to see it as an opportunity. And, you know, day six came around because I like chose that in day five. It was like so clear. Day six came around and um, my physical symptoms were, were rough. For the last two days, I had tremors like I've never had before, fever, um, my organs. You by yourself the whole time? I was not by myself. Um, I was by myself for, you know, on and off through the first three days, a lot, a lot on, um, day six, I was by myself. Um, day seven, I had people with me because it got a little dicey and, you know, my mom came and, um, I looked, I looked like a cancer patient on day seven. Like just, what was she, was your mom like, why I'm sure she was like, what my poor you know, mother moms are just you know yeah you know, boundaries with her too my my thing with her is like i, I want to share my life with you and i want to experience deep intimacy with you and i want to be seen by you and understood by you and i cannot hold the anxiety that you have for the life that i've chosen you're here you got me here well not really i, I was These adopted moms. you you raised me and you raised me and you and dad raised me to be unafraid and unapologetic and to trust that I can have anything that I want. And I, when y'all said it, I, I thought y'all fucking meant it. And like, this is what I came here for. And my mom has, she's come to this place at this point where she's just like, so down to radically support me. But she also like, I can tell in those times, like she also has to support herself because of how, you know, it just, it's like, it's like my daughter's my daughter's starving herself and, and it's like, but my mom's also very, very spiritual as well. So she, she gets her own healing. Yeah. She gets why I'm going into it. And she learns a lot from it too. Cause every time I come out, I'm just like, I got all this juice and all this knowledge about consciousness and my own personal human experience. And I've, you know, released these things and new information's coming in. And that is, that's one of the greatest gifts that I offer my community. My, my human design is a generator three, five. So like my entire being 
is just all about experimentation and then sharing my experiment with the world. And so it makes me great to, to like try things and talk about them. Right. My, I'll never figure out my mom, my mom, I've done ayahuasca ceremony and DMT with my mom. And I'll still talk to her about this. Stuff. She's like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'm like, we've mom, I'm, we've already done this. We've crossed this bridge already. You can't go yeah. back. Like I was, yeah. I was telling her, mom, I did MDMA uh, last week. And it was so good to she, she said, click. I said, hello, you have my mom. <laughs> she said, if you're going to keep living your life like this, I'm like, we have been, we've done this together. You can't just pretend like you're, you know, my mom's a thug. So I don't know. But yeah, she, my mom's she, a thug uh, too. My mom's a too. sweet little Jesus loving thug. Jesus loving thug. It's those are, those are the worst ones, the best ones. Yeah. There are times where I swear she's the only reason I'm alive because I had a tumultuous like childhood teenage years where I was pretty much putting myself in every position possible to just die. And, um, she just, now, for now you're doing it again. Intentionally. <laughs> but intentionally. Now I'm like, with, Oh, death. Like with integrity. This is my for greatest. Learning. For you. Uh, what was day seven? Like day seven was, oh, man, I have this, I have a pattern within ceremonies where right at the end, right when it should be the most peaceful, right? You're coming out with all this clarity. This happens to me in breath work. It happens to me in my ayahuasca ceremony and in this, where I'm like, I want to come out in peace. I wanted to be sitting there the last hour in meditation. And just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm ready for this sip of oh, water. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Enter into my body with this prayer. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, and it was fucking chaos. It was just, I was so dysregulated. My, I had adrenaline <laughs> pumping through me, and I was like, I couldn't get grounded, and I was angry, and my shadow was activated, and I was like blaming everybody for everything, and I was like, I'm going to get here on time with my coconut water. If they don't, I'm going to fucking kill yeah, them. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, these are the most raw parts of ceremony. And like my best friend, Lisa, she's wonderful. She's holding space for all of it. And she's just like, understand. She's like, yes, I'm pacing. I'm tapping. I'm tapping for an hour and a half. I'm doing breath work. I'm just trying to regulate, 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 you know? Oh my God. And, and when I come out, what's so funny about that pattern is that I come out of ceremony each time and I feel this like disappointment in myself. I'm like, I must've done something wrong. Like I didn't do it right. And like over time I've realized like, oh, this is the pattern. And right now, what I kind of relate that to is when I was given up for adoption, the last like hour of my, my birth was really chaotic because my birth mother, her sister, who was also pregnant, ended up fainting at the hospital because she had an adverse reaction to whatever medication she was on. And her, my, my birth mom's entire family left her to go be with her sister. And she gave birth to me all alone. And then she handed me off to my new parents. Wow. And so just like imagine the imprint of her nervous system those final hours of me coming out. And then as soon as I get out, it's not even like there's peace. It's like, and now I'm completely abandoned and I will never see this woman for the next 18 years of my life that I shared a heartbeat with, that I shared oxygen with, that I share a microbiome and a nervous system with. I'm forever connected to her. The extension of my nervous system is her. And it makes sense that consciousness and my life would take me in the direction to heal what would it's probably my deepest core wound in this life, which is that moment, that imprint of leaving the womb, the all satiating, consuming pulsation of the womb that provides everything I need and into this experience of complete and utter chaos that is this world and abandonment and illusion and, you know, frequencies that are I cannot, they don't sound like the beautiful water of the womb. I'll tell you that there's sharp and they're loud and there's sirens and bright lights in the hospital. And it's like, ugh. 
that is not the place I want to be coming out hot to coming, coming from this out movie hot. coming out hot. So yeah, that's been that's been a lot of the dots for you know what that day seven really was, and I feel like I have this new level of acceptance and compassion for what my body is trying to digest from you know because when we have trauma that's it's undigestible, the body just breaks it into a bunch of different parts and stores it in places, and it's only until we're able to really address those places and it's like you know maybe that's that place in my back, maybe that's where it really lives, and there's going to be some ceremony where. I fully grieve that experience and just the devastation of that from that, that infant place that doesn't have intellectual understanding. It's just like, feeling like, you know, that's what it feels like in ayahuasca. It's just like, this is the most disgusting feeling and it needs to come out. And then, you know, I might just boom, hear my back pop and all of a sudden I'm, I'm good. But until that day, I, I will choose to see life as like an opportunity to, to get closer and closer to healing whatever it is that wants to be healed and is ready to be addressed. I'm with it. We had a, um, a guest just on this week named Safa Boga, who is in the UK, and uh, she was talking a lot about somatic healing. And we we're also speaking about um, basically healing perinatal wounds. And we're talking about things that happened right at birth in the before birth in the womb, right out of the canal, things that happened that we don't have any conscious intellectual recollection of, but definitely make an imprint. And for, and for anyone who's listening to this, especially because, you know, we have a lot of men listening to the show. It's mostly men. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not the male podcast, but if you look at the demographics, that's what it is. And there's a lot of, there's just not a lot of awareness around the fact that these are, there's, there's an actual element of our psyche, which is affected by these very, very early imprints. And one more, and more importantly than the psyche is the nervous system. Like the nervous system. Your nervous system is a direct blueprint mm-hmm. of your mother's, specifically at the time that you were born. And so, yeah. so much of your unconditional patterns and how you react to life is rooted in that space. Well, actually, you tell me, what, what are some good resources people can learn when they're just now, I mean, I'm talking about like healing the, nerv- the nervous system. Someone is hearing this now for the first time in their life that they could do this. So where do they start? Because you, we, we jumped in at least to the, not the deep end, the middle part. I don't know anywhere else to go. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm not sorry, but yeah. So one of the greatest tools that I have found, it, you know, the two tools, and it's always going to lead you back to this, is, is the regulation of the breath. The ability to take the unconscious reptilian part of us that is just breathing because we breathe and it's breathing shallow. The unconscious breath is telling you exactly how safe you feel in your body. And it does not matter if you were in your home that you built and you got a million dollars there. There is still the undercurrents and everybody knows about those undercurrents because they show up when you're in conflict with your relationship, when you feel like your partner is about to break up with you or leave you or cheat on you or whatever else, when you, you know, like any, any time that you're in a really defensive pattern or where you're reacting, you're reacting from a place of the past and past pain. And it's very likely that that's coming from your developmental years, one through seven, or your story of your birth. In my opinion, so much unfolds from that story of birth. And then it just kind of compounds over those first developmental years. So being able to stop being in this just unconscious state of breathing and start to create consciousness around how your body is. It's like the breath is like a figure eight, literally the inhale. If it is deep and present and intentional enough the exhale never really starts or stops. It oscillates. It turns into the inhale and the inhale turns into the exhale. 
And when you begin to really be with the infinity and the, you know, uh, the folding of consciousness within your own body, you can't miss what's laying there. You cannot miss what's laying there. And there's going to be things within your field in meditation that, you know, most people are trying to get away from in meditation. And so much of shadow work is, is to really like become curious. And I'll tell you exactly how to do that. So one is the breath work, becoming aware of your breath. Two is when you find something and you become dysregulated, uh, a term or a modality called EFT, which is tapping. You can look it up and, and do it from YouTube. It's one of the easiest and I'm pretty sure the safest things that you can do for your body. Um, Andrew Huberman also has a podcast on, you know, exposure therapy, which is really important to talk about memories that you have and expose them over and over and over again. And then on top of that exposure to create a new memory that kind of like is a really good memory that has something that feels similar to the old memory. And then to be able over time to relay those two together so that you can connect a happy, and this is where MDMA is like super potent, right? So there's like exposure therapy. There's like just connecting with the breath, doing things like EFT, which taps on your meridian, which your meridians are your extension of your nervous system. They are what the field, your energy field, your auric field reaches out and feels energy where your nervous system most times is responding to that. So the physical nervous system is responding to the energetic nervous system. So that's a really big one. There's, there's, you know, um, the rapid eye movement stuff that you can start to do. But again, a lot of these memories and these foundational undercurrents of like, ugh, that exist that we don't know what they are and we don't have language for them because they happen before we had language. They happen and they live inside the part of the brain that doesn't have language. It doesn't live on a timeline. It's not analytical. That whole right side of the brain doesn't see separation. It doesn't see, it's not a serial processor. It doesn't have, it doesn't understand that you are separate from your experiences or that you're separate from another person. So another really great book to learn about the shadow is whole brain living. This is great for men, especially, especially men who are like pretty analytical and type A, because the whole book is not about spirituality, it's straight up about neuroanatomy. And it talks about where the shadow lives inside the brain. And that one of the greatest resources and tools lives inside of your brain along with the shadow. And it's what's considered your character three. And it's, so your character two is your shadow and it's your left emotional brain. Your character three is your intuition and kind of the feminine part of the brain that is your right emotional brain. And what most people do when they start to dive into their inner work is when they get triggered, they immediately go to strategy. How do I get out of this, fix this, make sure this never happens again? But now you've got strategy driven by the shadow, which is always gonna manifest and attract things that are gross, that don't feel good, that are just more of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. The greatest ally of the shadow is that playful, curious, sensual, like, what even is life? Like, what is this? Like, oh, is this painful? Like, why is it painful? What does it feel like? The character three that is the, the right emotional brain on the right side of the brain in the back, it's all about the felt experience, which is really what, what people need whenever they're trying to heal something or they're trying to do this work. If you're not willing to feel it, feelings alive that, that never get felt, they just get buried in the body. They just stay there because frequency is a, an experience of the body. We feel it and it wants to move. And so when you can tap into that character in your brain, again, you can listen to the book, Whole Brain Living or, or read it. It's amazing. Then you now have this character that goes, pain? What's it feel like? Oh, this is exciting. This is thrilling. What does it mean? That whole part of the brain literally is just curious. 
because it just wants to sense and feel. And most men don't know how to turn this part of their brain on. And that's what makes somebody either masculine or feminine is if you're very left brain, then you're considered masculine. If you're very right brain, you don't live in time. You don't see a lot of separation. Everything's about the senses and like the present moment. And they're considered really feminine. The majority of our society lives in that left brain because we're taught through our education system and everything else that like everything is linear. It's on a timeline. It's, you know, rooted in science, but science is just a metric to measure what is unknown. It's just a small part of, of being what we can measure that's unknown. It's not the whole thing. And scientists know that. And I think a lot of people don't know that. So top tools are going to be, you know, breathwork, connecting with your breath in a conscious way, whatever that looks like. Uh, EFT tapping, um, exposure therapy through, through therapy. I think everybody should go to therapy um, and being able to like expose it over and over again, but in, in, but not just talking about it. Why talk therapy sometimes gets just like where you really don't get a lot of movement is because you need to take the experience that was icky and you need to create a new experience that is really exciting or fun or safe that kind of replaces that experience. But even then, the next step to that is not to just forget about the other experience. It's to tie them together. It's to be like, wow, isn't it so crazy that in this relationship, like whenever you ask for space, like I see that as an opportunity for me to like really get in there and I go take a trip and I feel freedom Whereas I used to just feel abandonment and that abandonment would just riddle me with so much anxiety and like, look at how far I've come. And now every time you ask for space, I see an opportunity for me to go and, and, and travel the world and see an adventure. And that process of being able to create a whole new experience and wire the body in a different way where the body goes, ooh, where there used to be pain, now there's pleasure. You know, that's something that's really big. Somatic experiencing, working with somebody that knows how frequency works. Um, if you're in the LA area, the Austin area, might be a couple other cities or something called network spinal, which is a chiropractic practice that you yeah, it sounds like you're familiar with. Um, it's amazing. It's all about the subtle energy field. I personally have never had anything healing modality wise, like chiropractic or acupuncture that's impacted me as much as that has, especially with my, my spinal injury, like for the body, that's, those are, those are super, super profound. Um, yeah. And then the whole brain living book, I think everybody should read. I think it should be taught really early on. Like the fact that we don't fucking know how our brain wires. And I recommend you guys also read, uh, Stanislav Grof has a great book called the whole, uh, the whole trouble paradigm shift where that was my first really exposure to the research behind some of these perinatal experiences and how they oftentimes link to like archetypal imprints and things that we are carrying with us through generations. And I think some of that stuff sounds kind of hocus pocus, but then you read it and you're like, oh, this makes sense. I understand how this would be in there because yeah. we are passing down a lot through our DNA that goes underneath the radar of our conscious attention. That obviously yeah. is happening. And uh, it sounds hocus pocus because anybody who who operates only from their left brain does right. not know what it's like to feel that like radical unity and lack of separation and collectiveness and like deep curiosity and playfulness. And so it's like, yeah, like if you've never been to the mountains before, it's like hard to imagine what the mountains look like and feel like. Yeah. And, you, you can't know? think your way into those understandings. You cannot. You know? um, and that's why. Yeah. So breathwork bypasses the thinking brain and yeah. it puts you into that character three and even that character four, which is the part of our brain that experiences all the other molecules and atoms that are in the atmosphere inside of us and outside of us. So whether you believe in like God or not, whatever we're all made of, the part of our brain that's our right thinking brain is the only part of us that can fully connect to that. And most people have never yeah. connected with that part of their brain either, which happens through meditation. Well, that's what I was saying about um, MDMA. It's like, it's, it's a heart opener, at least for me. And I found that 
you know, just in my limited experiences with it. And I think some psychedelics in general um, are definitely, they're very expansive. That's kind of the purpose of them. You find that like, I don't know, with MDMA, I found that it opened me in a way where it, it's not like it's telling you, you should, you should love more. Love feels great. It's just, it opens you to the, to the point where you can't go back to the small amount of love that you could contain before you can actually you create more bandwidth to hold more love in your body. But it's not from a logical perspective. It's just like, oh, wow, I felt so much love in this experience that I know I'm capable of feeling more love than I thought. And now I hold a bit more. So like it will, you'll be really expansive during the time that you're under that influence. And then it won't go all the way back. You know, you're not going to keep feeling like that forever. But then when you do shrink back a little bit, it's bigger than it was before. You're like, I feel I can love more. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, MDMA suppresses character two, which is the shadow. And so you experience what it feels like to be in the present moment of love with absolutely no fear of the pain from your past. And that's why people get addicted to it. And they're just like out doing MDMA all the time partying because they don't know. Then becomes the shadow. Totally. And it's like, this is the door and the door is being offered to you through this chemical compound. That's not that great for your body and for your liver and for your serotonin. Just showing you it's available. However, it's going to show you the door and you are responsible for kind of like navigating yourself to understand where that door exists for you. That's the thing. That's the thing with the psychedelics. It's not the thing. It's just the door. And you know, same thing with LSD. I mean, I've had crazy psychedelic experiences and they're all awesome. But you're, you're not, they're only revealing what's already there. If you've learned anything about the universe from a psychedelic, you're only seeing what was already there because you have a limited inhibition or a change in perspective mm-hmm. or a, new, a different neural connection. It's like driving all a new All the wave. neurons, all those yeah, neurotransmitters, those are you know, already in the brain. They're already in there. It's like if, you, if you're trying to go to a, new, to a place you've been before uh, and you take the same road, you're going to get the same result. But you can go to a new place and take a new road and the city which has always been there, has all these places you've never seen before, but you're taking a new route that Google didn't tell you to do. Yeah. And there's all well, this shop there, that I found. It's not familiar. Yeah, it's not familiar. And that's one of oh. the big lessons of like healing mm-hmm. is like, you know, we we stay in what's familiar. And even if that's like ugly, like, you know, Pavlov's dogs, like him literally doing the buzzard and, you know, hitting the dogs. And then eventually, sh- or shocking the dogs. And eventually he just opens the door and keeps shocking them and the dogs don't leave. It's like, why don't the dogs leave? They're clearly being traumatized. And it's like, well, trauma is relative. And if you only know a life of trauma and then somebody's like, hey, by the way, go over there. It's like, well, if I go over there, I don't know that trauma. At least I know this one because it's familiar. And it's not that language. We don't, we're not wiring it that honestly. It's more of just like, no, like I'll stay in this dysfunctional relationship because I've never seen anything else. And this is familiar to me. Yeah, you, you, you can, I mean, look, you can live a long time with something that doesn't feel good. It's like the dog uh, moaning because he's laying on a nail, but it doesn't hurt enough for him to move. And we can live our whole lives like that. Um, we, and then also there's, there's the things that we, um, we don't even know that we're dealing with that are big, big barriers for us. I mean, I was talking to my dad the other day. And look, you know, my dad is a black dude in his 50s from Detroit. Okay, so he has a different perspective on what it means to have emotions. And his, his, he's just now learning that EQ is a thing in his 50s. He comes from a hard environment where when you show your emotions, you get killed. You get fucked up. So he's only learning now that to how to identify. It's like it's like he's learning colors the first time. He's only learning now how to identify, oh, I I think I might be depressed. I don't think he's not depressed right now, I don't think. But like 
I might be depressed. Oh, this is me feeling sadness or shame or anger. Like he's categorizing them. Imagine somebody feeling excitement for the first time. That would feel so overwhelming. Like you wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even know that it was a positive thing. Well, well, especially with him, it's a lot of times vulnerable emotions are going to be the ones that are going to be the hardest to share. And then you can also have, you know, for anyone listening to this, you remember that you can have emotions that are, are, are um, laced together or they're, they're almost like a knot. So you can be angry that you're upset, that you feel shame, that someone did something embarrassing to you. You know, and then you got to unpack that whole thing. And a lot of people who you're talking about, it's not just men, but with the masculine trait of only looking at things from the analytical perspective, they'll be like, I'm mad. And it ends at I'm mad. But there's like layers beneath why they're mad. And then underneath that, there's like a core hurt. And, and I was talking to my dad again. He's like, I'm like, I was trying to explain this to him. He's like, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. Why do I want to do all that work? I'm like, it is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. But if you, you know, so why would you want to do all the work? You tell us, why, why would you want to go through all this? You know, yeah. was it worth well, it? I, is it worth it? <laughs> so when your nervous system and every part of your brain is wiring from a past experience, you have no authority over yourself. Mm-hmm. Every decision that you make comes yeah. from a space of reactivity of being afraid to be in a similar situation of what created pain for you in the past. And so your entire life is really about moving forward to avoid that pain and to avoid the past. It's not actually about your future. And when somebody doesn't have authority, so so in that moment, you're just moving through life disempowered. It's like, it's like, okay, like I, I've got this job and the reason that I moved through this job is because I don't want to be like my father who didn't have a job and didn't provide for us. And, you know, and that's the person that gets stuck in the corporate world forever. Oh, yeah. And like, they have brilliant fucking oh, yeah. ideas. Everybody's got a creative genius and they can't take authority over their lives. And they're just in the system and in the victimhood of it. And they can't get out of it because they don't have enough self-worth. They're disempowered. And maybe that's not happening on like that much of a radical level for you. But it's like, if you look at your life and you are not fucking thrilled at the way that it has turned out, there's a good chance that you're living somebody else's story about what is safer than the pain that you perceive you will go through if you were to step outside of that familiarity. So yeah, very much worth it. And also as above, so below. If you want to feel radical feelings of joy and ecstasy and bliss, you have to be willing to feel severe despair and desperation and suffering. And in that, the nervous system is the only thing that we can really expand upon the capacity that we have to be able to hold all of that. When I talk about like capacity and like your nervous system and being able to hold more, it's like if if you're in this in this space of okay, all I can really experience is like a little bit of happiness. Like, okay, this feels good. This is safe, but it's not really safe for me to be like fucking ecstatic because I'm driven by my shadow. And all I can think about is when I'm going to lose this ecstaticness and how I got to make sure that I can keep it. And I just got to grasp onto it and hold onto it. Because if I don't, this is the story that my past and my, you know, the narrative that my nervous system is telling me. And like, that's, that's ultimately most people's lives. It's just a giant projection of, of them trying their hardest to not experience the pain of their past or the pain of their past ancestors. And so when you say, okay, I want to do the work to expand that capacity and unravel that ball, I know that that unraveling is not a serial process and that only part of my brain and part of my consciousness, which is here to create order out of the chaos, but I now must accept that there is a half of me and consciousness that is rooted in chaos and that the only reason that I I organize it is just so that I can understand it. It's not so that I can like own it and 
and like be in control and all of these illusions. Like control is for somebody who's afraid of pain. And so if you're afraid of pain so deeply to that degree, you are also very afraid of pleasure. You are afraid of losing yourself. I mean, imagine, like think about your sex life. Like imagine that moment where you and your partner are coming at the same time and you did not plan that and you were literally don't you're not even in the room anymore like you are in other dimensions and it is just so ecstatic that you can feel it and so much information is coming through and you can feel your body tremoring and you're crying if you've never had that experience it's incredible it's absolutely incredible you can do so much healing work in that space i've had it you know more than a handful of times and like the downloads that come through, the fucking clarity about my life, the the moments and the memories that were stored in my body, stored in my cervix that were just imprinted there from God knows how long ago. And then all of a sudden that clarity comes through. And when you have clarity, you feel empowered because you feel discerning and you know exactly how you want to step forward. And when you don't know how you want to step forward, because all you can think about is not having what happened to you in the past, every decision you will make will come from disempowerment and you will not create the life of your dreams. You will create the life of like avoidance of the pain. So the work is the most important thing. It's what I feel like every single person came here for. And when you start doing it, not only will you heal and release the things that do not serve you and things that you don't even know don't serve you, you will invite and open an opportunity for you to feel your creative genius. And you will never have to work a day in your life because you'll be so magnetic and so fucking clear and so deep in your trust process. And every single person will want some of what you have that you can literally just open your arms and you can rest. If you want to rest, those of you guys that are working so fucking hard because all you want to do is just grind and get to this idea about the future where you're not going to be in pain and in scarcity anymore, you are lying to yourself. You want to rest? This is the way to do it. You can rest every single day for your life and you can make money resting. No doubt. I don't want to say anything else after that. I just want you to tell them where they can find out more about you. Yeah, so I don't work with men, but um, I do have really great content. I, I, I work with men in a very specific scenario. So if you have a partner, um, we have, we have plenty of women listening to the show too. So don't worry about okay, that. Okay, Great. Yeah. Women, I have a membership program that I just launched. Um, it's a hundred bucks a month right now. It will double soon, but it's amazing. And I do weekly coaching calls and I drop knowledge like this all the time. And I also share the very intricate raw details about my life and everything I go through, um, because of just my personality type. I do workshops um, and all of that good stuff. I have a women's retreat. Everything I do is called Awaken the Medicine. And it's all about awakening the medicine of your authentic soul expression, who the fuck you are and what you came here to do. All about radical confidence, um, about letting go, releasing, you know, really being able to hold space for your inner queen. And then um, I also do relationship coaching. So I do that, you know, between two, two people that are, that are doing kind of like a sacred dance together and, and want to do healing work in their relationship. And so you can find me on Instagram. That's the easiest place to do it or awaken the medicine.com. We're going to link it up. Uh, This is, I, I feel like every time you say something, I have something that I want to add a point and then we can just keep going, but it's like, okay, I got to make, we're not making one piece of content. We could do more. Um, Yeah, totally. And that was inspiring. It was so, it was so good. It was, I mean, I just kind of, I, I felt like I just gave you a little layup and you just kept slamming it. So I just kept letting you go. Um, the one thing I'll say, which is interesting to me, is that as you do more of this work, a lot of the things that sound cliche end up being the best wisdom. So like no pain, no gain. You know, it's like, that sounds stupid when you're like 10, but then you get older, that going through all these ceremonies, you're like, yeah, you're right. If I didn't go through the pain, I wouldn't have gained anything, you know, but it really, you know, it's like, uh, or like, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned or like the golden rule. <laughs> but it makes more sense as you get older. 
Uh, well, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as we loved to record it for you today. It was really great talking to Adrian. Really great to hear some of the some of the stories she was sharing and just the idea that you really can heal yourself. And we were talking about this also with Safa Boga uh, last week uh, on the podcast and talking with her about uh, healing ourselves, about about healing the womb, about the cosmic womb, about perinatal, um, about perinatal uh, uh, trauma and dealing with things from our ancestral um, you know, plane. And it's just pretty crazy, man, that I never really considered that there were other layers of existence until maybe five to seven years ago. And then I started to realize that, you know, what we see with our, with our eyes is only a small fraction of what we're actually experiencing. And, uh, you can heal a lot and change a lot by tapping into these different uh, layers of consciousness and awareness. And it's all, it's all accessible to us. So hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Catch up with us at newwaveentrepreneur.com. Make sure that you subscribe to our email list there so we can keep in contact with you and uh, like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. My friends, the water is warm. The tide is rising. So let's jump on in and surf this new wave. Daniel out.